As I said earlier, today is Epiphany, which marks the end of the Christmas season. It's the 12th day of Christmas. We didn't have any 12 drummers drumming up here, though, Matt. I'm a little disappointed. Blake, you know, he, he, can, he can make it sound like 12 guys up here drumming. That's right. The word Epiphany means appearance, coming into the light. That's one of the reasons why Epiphany is traditionally celebrated with candles and lights, and we have the lights on our Christmas tree. It's especially associated with John's description of Jesus that we read earlier in John chapter 1, of Jesus being the light and life of men. He's the light of the world. Also on Epiphany, Simeon's pronouncement in Luke chapter 2 is often focused on that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Epiphany is the day that we remember the wise men following the light of the star of Bethlehem coming to worship Jesus and present to Him their gifts. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is, uses one of the few times this Greek word, epiphany, is used in the New Testament. It's found when Paul uses it to point to both Christ's first appearing, but then he also uses it to talk about Christ's second appearing. So on Epiphany, we not only look back to when Christ appeared that first time, but we look forward with great anticipation that we sung about a little while ago for Christ's second coming. And it is that second appearance that John's revelation primarily deals with. Now, the Greek word for revelation is sort of similar to the idea of epiphany, but it's, it's a deeper, richer word. And it's the word apocalypsis. Now, if you're like me, you've seen probably one too many disaster movies. You hear the word apocalypse and you think destruction, disaster. We even talk about things being apocalyptic, you know, meaning that things are going to be bad. But that's not what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse means manifestation, disclosure, revelation. The book Revelation in the Greek is actually the book Apocalypsis. It literally means to pull back the curtain and to reveal what has been hidden. And that's why Simeon said that Jesus was born as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus came to pull back the curtain and to reveal, not only to the Jewish people, but to all the world, who God is and His redemptive mission to save mankind. So I think today is a great day to begin a sermon series looking at the first three chapters of the Revelation. The unveiling of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That's what John writes in Revelation 1.1. I want us to think about this morning what Jesus might want to uncover for us in the coming weeks and months as our church seeks God's will and direction for our future. What might he want to shine his light on for us? Pointing out our faults, our mistakes, our sins. What might He want to illuminate? What path might He want to light forward for us to follow? Just as the wise men followed that star. So we begin today, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, with John's description of this amazing vision that he has of the risen Christ whose eyes are blazing like fire, whose feet are shining like burnished bronze, who's dressed in priestly robes and wearing a golden sash 
But the most striking part of John's description is this sharp double-edged sword that is coming from the mouth of Jesus. He speaks with a voice that sounds like raging rivers. And in his right hand, Jesus holds seven stars and he's walking amidst seven golden lampstands. Let's look at this vision in Revelation 1, beginning in verse 12. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. What could such a vision mean? Christ's appearance here depicts His power. His majesty and glory as the victorious King who has completed His redemptive mission and now stands as our High Priest before God the Father. His voice is powerful. His Word is living and active. When I read this vision, I can't help but think of Hebrews 4.12 that says the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But what of these seven stars and seven lampstands. What do they represent? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 17 to explain their meaning. It says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, the seven churches that he references here represent seven congregations that are found throughout Asia Minor, or what we know of as modern-day Turkey. And the next two chapters of Revelation are Jesus' specific messages to these churches. It's like Jesus is dictating letters and John is recording them and then he's going to deliver them to these seven churches. One to each church and its angel. Now the Greek word for angel simply means messenger. An angel is a messenger of God. And here in this vision, these messengers are the pastors of these seven churches. Revelation chapters 2 And three, represent to us seven letters written by Jesus Himself to seven churches and their pastors. Now this year, our church is developing a revitalization strategy to renew our spiritual health as a congregation, to discern God's direction for the future of our church. And we're praying for God to revive our hearts, to rekindle our passion for His glory, and to renew in us a burden for the lost around us. So as we look at these seven letters in the next seven weeks, I pray that we can discover what Jesus Himself is saying to the people of First Baptist Church in Thompson, Georgia. See, in these seven letters, Jesus makes personal, specific observations of each of these churches, their strengths and their weaknesses. He both warns them and encourages them. 
We discover in these letters that Jesus has very intimate knowledge of and concern for these local churches in John's day. And I believe they also reveal to us that Jesus also has intimate knowledge of and concern for our church today. Before we get into these letters that I wanted us to take this morning to consider the significance of this vision in Revelation 1. Because it teaches us three foundational truths that we must understand before we'll ever experience revitalization, renewal, or revival. And the first of these truths is the truth of the seven golden lampstands. And that is the purpose of the local church. Now I say local church because Jesus in these letters isn't just speaking to churches universally or to the church in a generic way. He's addressing real, historical, first century churches. But since God saw fit for these letters to be recorded and preserved in Scripture, we also know that through these messages to these seven historical churches, God has a message to every church in every century, including our church today. In fact, these two chapters give us the clearest picture of church revitalization of any passage in the New Testament. But why did God choose to use seven golden lampstands to represent these local churches? Well, Ben touched on it a little bit. When we think of gold, we think that gold is, is something that's of, of great worth and, and purity. And so it represents the purity and the great worth of the church. We might think lamps. Well, that points to our role as light shining in the darkness. And you wouldn't be wrong about either of those. Both of those are true as Ben talked about in the children's sermon. But there's something much more significant in this symbolism that would have been very clear to the first century recipients of these letters. You see, when Moses was given instructions on Mount Sinai from God to build the tabernacle, one of the pieces of furniture that God instructed him to have built was a golden lampstand. And God gave vivid, detailed descriptions of what this lamp should look like. He gave very specific instructions on how this lamp should be constructed. And there are three things I want us to know about this lampstand. The first is it had significant properties. I want us to think about the significant properties of these lampstands. Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 through 40 tells us that basically it was a seven-branched candlestick comprised of a pedestal, a central shaft, and three branches that extended to each side of it. It was to be made by a, from a talent of pure gold. And the branches were actually supposed to represent the branches of a tree. The cups that held the oil and the wicks were to look like almond blossom flowers and, and, and buds. In fact, much of the tabernacle and later the temple was designed to point the people back to the Garden of Eden. You read the descriptions of the tabernacle interior and the inside of the temple. There's lots of, of flower imagery and plants, and, and it's just it's meant to help the people to remember God's original intention for humanity and his relationship with them before sin came into the world. But it also points us forward, not only backward to the Garden of Eden, but I think it points us forward to that garden in, when, when, the, when the heaven comes down and, and, and to the new earth, when the new Jerusalem descends. We're going to live in a garden that talks about in Revelation that the, that, the, that the river will come from the throne of God and on either side of the river will be the tree of life. It points us forward to that because this, this lampstand 
in a tabernacle reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, this lampstand was supposed to represent that tree of life. That's what it was to call to our recollection. With its branches reaching up to God, and, and light is often used to symbolize the giving and sustaining of life. That's why in John 1, Jesus is called the life and light of men. Because without light, we would have no life. Now, in John chapter 7 and 8, just to give a little bit more significance to this for you, John 7 and 8 tells us that Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, part of that celebration included the construction of these enormous lampstands in the temple square. Some scholars think they were as tall as 75 feet tall. These things were huge. And they would come and they would fill the bowls on top of it full of oil and they would light these giant golden lampstands as a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was at that moment that Jesus stood in the temple and said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has built His church with significant properties. The purity of His blood and His Holy Spirit that washes us clean and reshapes us into His image. We are ambassadors on the earth, commissioned with proclaiming the good news of redemption, pointing people beyond sin to that perfect relationship that God always intended to have with them and will have with them someday if they repent and return to Him. But secondly, I want us to notice not just the significant properties, but the special purpose. Now, what is the purpose of a lamp? This isn't too hard. It's to give light, isn't it? That's right. In fact, Jesus even talks about in Matthew chapter 5, people do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. (laughs) That would make no sense. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, other than than the radiant, glorious presence of God, the only light source in the tabernacle was this golden lampstand. It was the only source of light inside that tent. And its purpose was so important that one of the priest's primary jobs was to make sure that the light on that lampstand never burned out. Every night, the priest made sure the lamp had plenty of oil to make it through the night. And every morning, they would go in and trim its wicks. Now, we know that the church also has a specific purpose. Because Jesus goes on to say in Matthew five sixteen, "...in the same way, let your light shine before men." that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, before Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, He stood before His disciples and He elaborated on this. What does it mean for us to shine our light before men? He gave us the Great Commission. Jesus said what it means is that you are to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and make more Christ followers and teach them to live in the way of Jesus and bring them into the family of faith so that they too can shine their lights before others and make even more disciples. Just as we do on the Christmas Eve service, taking one candle and spreading that flame until the whole room is lit, that is the way that we are to be taking the gospel to the world. So returning to that light motif, Paul encouraged the Philippian church to shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Our church has been built by Christ with very significant properties and we've been given a very specific purpose to shine the light of the gospel and make disciples of all people. But thirdly, 
we see the strategic place of this lampstand. It was placed on the southern side of the Holy of Holies. Now, why is that strategic? Because it meant that it was right across from and illuminated the table of showbread, also called the bread of the presence, which was on the northern wall. So just think about this. For generations, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, this lampstand stood in a spot so that it could shine its lights on and draw attention to the bread that represented God's provision and presence in the midst of His people. Now, we know in the New Testament that bread would come to represent the greatest provision of God, the eternal presence of God among His people, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said that, He said, I am the bread of life. He was born in the house of bread. And He told us that His body was like bread, broken and given, that we might have eternal life. We, the people of First Baptist Church in Thompson, Georgia, exist to shine the light of God into the darkness around us. A light specifically that's meant to point people to Jesus Christ as the ultimate gift and presence of God in our midst. And I believe that God has strategically placed this church, First Baptist Church in Thompson, McDuffie County, Georgia. He's put us right here, right now, for such a time as this. He has a specific purpose for us. Jesus Himself has built and established us with significant properties because we're not a country club. We're not just some relief organization. We're the expression of the church of Jesus Christ at 253 Jackson Street in Thompson, Georgia. And we are here to penetrate the darkness around us and to point the lost to the only hope they have, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Part of the work of your strategic revitalization team is deciphering the unique properties that God has given our church. How He has shaped us to fulfill His purpose. What our place is in this community and in the broader kingdom of God. And so I invite you to pray with us as we work on this. And I invite you to join us, as I mentioned earlier, on Sunday nights beginning on January 20th to to this cross-current study so that you can be a part of this process. Let's move on to the next symbol in this vision. We've talked about the seven golden lampstands that represent the purpose of the local church, but then we also see seven stars, which represent the position of pastors. The seven stars in Jesus' right hand represent the pastors of these seven churches. And I want us to notice two essential qualities of these pastors. First, notice that the stars are in Jesus' right hand. What does that signify? That signifies that pastors hold a sacred position. Pastors hold a sacred position because in the biblical world, the right hand was the hand of favor and the hand of authority. Whenever a father would pass on a blessing to his sons, he would put his right hand on them. Whenever a king wanted to honor someone, they'd come and sit at his right hand. When Jesus ascended to the Father, it says that He was seated at the right hand of God the Father. And even today, we use the phrase, right-hand man, to talk about somebody that we trust and respect and honor. Here, Jesus is demonstrating that these seven pastors have been called by God. That their position as pastor is sacred and honorable. They've been called, commissioned, and empowered by God to accomplish their task. Now, I know as a pastor, this might sound a little self-serving. So rather than say much more, I'm just going to let two passages of Scripture speak to this. 
The first is Hebrews 13, 17. Well, the author of Hebrews is telling this congregation, he says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, Paul also calls the office of the pastor a noble office. And he admonishes those who hold it to do so with all seriousness and to live above reproach. He says in Acts 20, 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now that brings me to the second essential quality of pastors found in John's vision. And that's that not only do pastors hold a sacred position in the right hand of Christ, but pastors hold a submissive position. Because they're not just at Jesus' right hand, they are in Jesus' right hand. Now let's go back to Acts 20, 28. Who bought the church with his own blood? Jesus. Not the pastor's. As much as I love this church and work for this church and serve this church, I've never shed an ounce of blood for this church. Have any of you? But Jesus shed His blood for this church. The fact that these stars are in Jesus' right hand shows His power and authority over the pastors. The churches that Jesus is writing to belong to Him. Not the pastors, not the staff, not the deacons, not the members. They belong to Jesus. When Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter in Matthew 16, Jesus said, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who will build His church? Christ, Jesus. In Ephesians 5, Paul uses the relationship of a husband and wife to illustrate this relationship between Christ and His church. Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Who gave Himself up for the church? Jesus! Not you and me. And the rest of this verse points us to the third truth about the church in Revelation 1. Where we see not only the seven lampstands and the seven stars... But we see the Son of Man among the lampstands. We see the present work of Jesus in His churches. In John's vision, we see Jesus walking among the lampstands. He's not hovering above them. He's not off to the side. He's in their midst. And this illustrates for us how Jesus is actively concerned with His churches and He is dynamically at work within them. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Notice that Jesus is at work making the church holy. Cleansing the church of sin through the power of His Word. That flaming sword that's coming from the mouth of Christ in John's vision. Jesus is working in His church so that He can present His church to Himself someday radiant. You see, when Jesus is done working among us, when He returns in glory, we'll be presented to Him a church without stain, wrinkle or blemish. We'll be fully and wholly 
blameless in His sight. And is that not the end goal of all prayer for revival? Is that not the reason that we want to see our church renewed and revitalized? Jesus is actively at work and present in this church today, doing these very things. He's tending to our lamp. He's trimming our wicks. He's keeping us fueled by His Spirit and cleansed by His Word. Jesus is directing your pastors and staff and deacons as we seek His will and how to carry out His great commission in this time and place. And as we'll see in the seven weeks to come in these letters, sometimes Jesus' words to the churches are words of comfort and encouragement. Sometimes they're words of rebuke and correction. And I believe that if we'll listen in the weeks to come, Jesus will encourage us to keep doing the right things and warn us to repent from doing the wrong things. And Jesus will not hesitate to call us out and point out our sins and our mistakes and our misplaced priorities. The question for us today is, will we have the ears to hear what the Spirit says to our church? Will we respond in trusting obedience to Jesus' will for our church? Will we submit to His agenda? If we do not, Jesus tells us in Revelation 2.5 what the consequences are. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The removal of a lampstand is Jesus' judgment on any church that through sin slides from life to death. Jesus, if need be, will remove a lampstand for the greater good of the kingdom of God. Statistics tell us that every week in North America, 150 churches close their doors for good. Jesus is not above removing a lampstand if that lampstand is hindering the work of the kingdom. Church, Jesus is walking in our midst. Do you believe that? With eyes that blaze like fire that penetrate through our shells to see what's in our heart and in our mind. He comes to us with the sword of truth in His mouth to prune away anything and everything that is keeping us from being fruitful. He is at work with a zeal for God's holiness and glory and for our fruitfulness. Will we join Jesus in the work of tending to our lamp? Are we willing to trim the wicks? Now think about this. What do the wicks do? The wicks burn the light all night long. And when they've burned, they have to be trimmed so that the light can burn brighter the next day. We have a lot of wicks, a lot of programs, a lot of events, a lot of traditions. They did a great job yesterday shining the light of Christ. But some of those need to be trimmed so that we can shine the light of Christ even brighter tomorrow. This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus and a member of this church, I hope that you are praying with me and with our revitalization team for God's renewing work in our midst. I hope you'll join us in keeping open minds and hearts for Jesus' strategic plan, for how He wants us to uniquely carry out the Great Commission here. I invite you to be a part of this process with us. But this morning, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never given your heart and life to Him and asked Him to forgive you of your sins. And I invite you this morning to come to the One who is the light of the world, the One who wants to give you life eternal and abundant and free.
Here in just a moment as we sing, you can come down this morning and experience this light of Christ in your own heart. Maybe this morning you're a Christian, but you're not a member of our church. Maybe you've been worshiping with us for some time, and you know that God is leading you and your family to unite with this church, to say, you know what, this is where I want to shine the light of Jesus Christ. I want to be part of this lampstand. I, I, I want, to, I want to, to see the light of Christ glow from this place and this people into this community and world. And I invite you this morning to come and unite with our church. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and thank you for the light. The light that, yes, purifies us of sin. The light that, yes, points out our faults and our failings. But it's the light that gives life. It's the light that illuminates the path for us. Father, I pray that Your light would shine in every heart and mind here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand, sing, and respond as God's Spirit leads?